What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. I received an awesome question recently. Someone wrote in asking if I've ever covered how to masturbate as a topic. I've addressed beginner's tips here and there over the years, but that question really inspired me to delve deeper and share tips through what's probably my favorite medium, true stories about lived experiences. Since starting Girl Boner, I've heard from so many people with vulvas who said they sort of fell into masturbation by accident. They were riding a bike or using a shower head and suddenly everything felt really, really good. I've also heard from folks who intentionally started exploring on their own and figure things out as they go along. Because we are all so unique, there really isn't a universal step-by-step that will likely work for everyone as far as solo play goes, but there are some really smart guiding principles and good places to start, many of which I covered in my Girl Boner book. Things like setting aside time for intimate pleasure by yourself, starting with soft touch once you're there, and exploring whatever areas of your body feel the most erogenous to you. And once you feel ready or interested, you can apply some lube to your fingers and trace your labia, aka lips, or other parts of your genitalia. And to find the G-spot, many people find that inserting a finger or two a couple of inches inside the vagina and making the come-here motion works pretty well. Or you can stay on the outside, tantalizing the external part of your clitoris using varying intensity. You can also masturbate without touching your genitals at all, by riding a pillow or even just fantasizing and letting your mind do all of the arousing. Experimenting with different types of speeds and different kinds of strokes, using lube and slowing down can be helpful for inviting more pleasure, regardless of what genitalia you have, as can making sure you explore more than just your shaft if you have a penis. And as you know, I love recommending toys for play. Dildos, vibrators, cock rings, there are so many options. Of course, there is so much more to solo play than these steps, and I love how totally unique we all are in how we go about it, and what feels best. I'm so delighted that four people, all of whom happen to be cisgender women, stepped up to speak with me about their own favorite techniques. We also explored their masturbation journeys and tips for beginners or for anyone who wants to try something new. If you enjoy what you hear and want to explore some of the fun ideas you pick up, please head to The Pleasure Chest to check out some awesome sex toys, lube, and more. In the follow-up blog for this episode, you'll find links to products I recommend. You can find that link down in the show notes. I'll also include a link to Pleasure Chest's sex toy primer in case you want to find a toy but you're really not sure where to start. Later in the show, we'll hear dating empowerment coach Erin Tillman's thoughts for listeners on how to communicate your sexual likes and dislikes early on while dating and when to reveal to someone you're dating that you're bisexual. I really think you're going to love what Erin had to say. So first, I spoke with Holly, a stay-at-home mom in the Northwest. Holly told me she was raised by a very progressive mom. Even so, sex wasn't really talked about, nor was masturbation. And she spent a lot of time with a conservative Christian family whose more rigid rules around sex rubbed off on her a little bit. Holly also told me that she was sexually abused during childhood. 
And in her preteens, she explored sexually a little bit with some other girls. And all of that sort of became a glob of shame and not enough clear information and nobody really talking other than the little bits that you hear with your friends or you glean from media, that type of thing. During her 20-year marriage to her kid's dad, Holly's ideas around sex started shifting. People she interacted with in person and online were a lot more open and accepting around sexuality than she was used to, and she liked that. She also wanted to provide a positive example for her kids. And, you know, as you're older, you learn that there are a lot of things you're embarrassed about that aren't really that embarrassing (laughs) once you realize that it's totally normal and natural. And so in trying to present sexuality in an open way to my kids, I sort of healed a lot of that in myself. But then in my marriage, there was a point where I realized this marriage was not really ever what I had hoped it was going to be or thought it was going to be. And that there wasn't really any future for us in that marriage because we wanted completely different things. That was kind of when emotional disconnect started to happen with my ex-husband. And I sort of started to invest more in my own growth, I guess. And so part of that was, you know, no longer having a sexual partner. Then I started exploring more of that myself because I was like, well, I tell my kids all the time, this is completely natural. This is totally normal. And really the only experiences I had with that were not so great as a kid or a teenager. And so I started to explore more myself. And then I was like, oh, this is something kind of neat that I can do for myself exactly the way that I want to do it. There's no compromise with anybody. It's a, you know, a normal thing. It's maintenance but it's also something I can just kind of do for myself. Since then, Holly masturbates regularly. She said the practice has become a means of meeting her own needs now that she realizes its importance. And her favorite way to go about solo play is starting with nipple stimulation using a cup-shaped vibrator. So with this cup-shaped vibrator, it has little nubs on the inside. When it vibrates, then you get a little bit of light stimulation and it just goes right around your nipple. So I like that one and I kind of do sort of circles so it touches different parts of the nipple. And then once I'm feeling turned on enough at that point that I'm done with that, then I will move on to a bullet vibrator that I have. I really like that one. It's very simple. And I really like a lot of clitoral stimulation. And you can, for me, I can get really good clitoral stimulation with that because I can place it really anywhere that I want it. And I think I have a fairly small area on my clitoris that's really reactive and it's hard to get that otherwise. So I'll use that and it has varying speeds. So I'll pick usually whatever feels good at the time. It really depends on the moment. And then that's usually how I orgasm. Holly said she pretty much only experiences orgasms externally. You might've heard this type of big O called clitoral orgasm and internal ones called vaginal orgasms or G-spot orgasms. But did you know that internal orgasms involve the clitoris too? We only see a small part of the clitoris from the outside. And that small, highly sensitive part is where many people with vulvas orgasm best. Regardless, all orgasms are groovy. So are all methods of solo play. 
I loved Holly's advice for beginners. I would say if you haven't really masturbated much before, that the main thing is, for me anyway, that it feel good. So sometimes a big part of masturbating isn't always like clitoral stimulation or G-spot or anything like that. A lot of it is getting yourself into the mindset. So sometimes it might even be light touching on arms, on a chest, breasts, whatever part of the body. So starting out, really just touching your body and finding out what feels good to you. And it might not be a spot that you initially think is a spot that would be an erogenous zone. But for you, that feels really good and just starts to get you in the mood. It's sort of like how foreplay is for sex, that type of thing. It's foreplay for masturbation. It's what gets you in the mood, what feels good. And sometimes you might want it to be a longer session. Sometimes it might be really short. It's really all about what you want at that moment and what feels good to you. There's no prescription for it. Next, I spoke with Lena Corazon, a writer and sociology PhD. Lena said masturbation was a little daunting and a little scary early on, something that hadn't really been discussed in her family environment. Solo play wasn't even something her friends were talking about, she said, and that secrecy made it all the more intimidating. I grew up Catholic, went to an all-girls Catholic high school, had a pretty close-knit family. We talked about sexuality only in the context of one day you'll meet a man who you really love and care about, and together there'll be sparks and it'll be this amazing, beautiful thing. Don't give it up too early. Don't do it with someone that you don't really care about. And that was the sex talk. But having this knowledge that I could touch myself, that I could bring myself my own pleasure was sort of revolutionary. One day, young Lena was flipping through an issue of Cosmo during her senior year of high school when she came upon an article that featured 39 ways to please yourself. Intrigued, she read the list and tucked it away for safekeeping. One night, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a try. And it was such an interesting and different experience that I kept doing and that I finally decided was something that belonged to me and something that was solely my own. And that was really exciting. Solo play became increasingly important to Lena, not only for fun and pleasure, but as something she links to her identity as a feminist. She went from high school to a university in San Francisco, where she was part of a sociology department full of women she described as strong, staunch feminists. Feminists who talked about sex in a way that wasn't hush-hush or taboo, but as matter-of-fact and important. Coming to sort of form a relationship with my own body, but also learning about the history of all the ways in which women's bodies have not belonged to them. The ways in which male-dominated patriarchal societies, particularly here in the Western world, have sought to control and dominate women's bodies. It's something that continues to this day to be a battleground. Knowing that owning my sexuality through solo play really feels like just my small, tiny way of reclaiming that piece of me, something that's been denied to women for so long. And that's really come to be something very important. As for how she goes about it, Lena said she enjoys external clip play and penetration, so she really enjoys toys. I've experimented with different kinds over the years, silicone, glass, really trying to decide kind of the textures 
that work the best for me. I really like kind of the sort of unyielding nature, the, the weight that comes from glass or a, I think there's like sort of the tempered plastics that have been really popular of late. You know, ridges, bumps, variation is really nice for me and is something that I really enjoy. If you have a vulva and are new to solo play, Lena recommends having lubricants on hand as a wonderful way to start, especially given that natural lubrication levels vary so much depending on factors like the time of the month, taking certain medications, and where you are emotionally. Beyond that, she said to really explore, guiding with some choice questions. Do you like having your clit stimulated? Do you like a little penetration? Do you know where your G-spot is? And if so, using some different techniques in concert with one another can be really helpful. I'll usually start with clip play, move into penetration, and then just sort of go back and forth between the two. I've got some jewelry that helps with that. Lena enjoys added pleasure from piercings, which you might want to consider if you're looking for something a little more advanced or want to try something new. I have two, actually. I have a vertical hood piercing. So I have a, sort of an L-shaped piercing that rests just above my clitoris. It doesn't usually have any friction between it, but I can sort of move the two together if I want to stimulate that part of my body. I also have a, um, a triangle piercing. So not everyone's anatomy can accommodate a triangle piercing, mine can. And so that gives me some extra pressure along where my G-spot is and just kind of provides a little bit more than sort of my fingers or toys can provide on their own. There are a bunch of different kinds of vulva clitoris piercings, and hood piercings are both the most popular and considered the safest for most folks. If you're considering such a piercing, make sure you work with a qualified professional to lower the risk of side effects like nerve damage, which can happen if it's done incorrectly. Next, we'll learn from Shannon Kay, a chemist and foodie who first masturbated around age 14. By that point, she said she hadn't really explored down there at all, but she had heard hints of this could be kind of nice on the internet and decided solo sex was worth trying. And so I went for it and I did get off. But when I got off, I thought that I was having a stroke. I was like, wow, I should never do that again. A couple of years later, she realized what she had actually experienced and started back up again. One thing Shannon credits for allowing her to eventually embrace solo play was having very open parents, parents who assumed she was going to have a sexual life. There were a couple times when I was at a hotel for something or another with my dad, and he's like, if you're going to use the hotel room for sex, you put a sock on the door handle because I don't want to walk in on you. I just looked at him like, I'm not interested in any of that. In fact, even though I masturbate quite often now, and I'm generally a very sexual person, I did not start having sex until 19. So everyone has their own pace for going through all of this stuff. During college, Shannon decided to invest some money into her solo play practice, 20 bucks in fact, which was a lot for her at the time. She spent it on a bullet vibrator. It ate up batteries, she said, but it was awesome. I also didn't have my own room, so the only time I masturbated was in the shower. Luckily, the bullet vibe was waterproof, and I really didn't use anything else. It was bullet vibrator on my clit and fingers up my vagina. And 
I did it enough to keep the tension at bay to make sure that I wasn't just oozing sexuality everywhere or, you know, that's what it felt like at the time. Shannon's solo play life has really evolved since then. So much so, she has a whole ritual that involves tasty food, some good reading material, toys, and a whole lot of pleasure she no longer feels the need to rush through. Usually I start with a glass of wine and a shrimp cocktail. It's easy to make because there's no cooking involved, but very relaxing and feels decadent. Then, while I'm eating the shrimp cocktail, I'll read a romance or fan fiction until I'm in the mood to go to town, you know? I'll start with some clip play. For this in particular, I found a really fantastic toy that looks like a sucker on an octopus's leg and actually does sucking on the clip. I'll usually put down a little lube and then use that. The lube helps make a seal so that it pulls more on my clit and really brings out the sensations. Now, I'm personally a multiple orgasm kind of person, though that doesn't represent everyone. So when I start doing this, I'll keep going until I've gotten off at least once or twice. By this point, Shannon is still reading her romance or fan fiction, She said it feels a little naughty, in a good way, to be trying two things at once. That all keeps a sense of tension going, she said, and makes it all more fun. After that, I'll take out a dildo. I have a couple that I'll use depending on how hard I'm in the mood for or how big the dildo is. I'll put some lube on the dildo and then go to town using both the dildo and the clit sucker. I'll do this until I've gotten off mm, a couple times, and then usually I'll need a break. I'll cool off for five minutes or so, and then go again, and then cool off for five minutes or so, and then go again. So that's the basis for Shannon's solo play routine, which she sometimes mixes up depending on how she's feeling physically and emotionally. If her nipples are feeling particularly sensitive, for example, she'll use nipple clips that she made out of clothesline clips. And for some reason, they're just the right amount of pressure that I'll use those on my nips. And then that gives a little bit of extra tension, which can bring the masturbation up to the next level. Speaking of leveling up, there's a whole lot of that in Kirsten's story. When I spoke with a longtime mental health counselor, energy healer, and spiritual teacher, she said she first masturbated around age six, And she doesn't quite remember exactly how or when she started. But I had like a stuffed animal and I figured out that I could kind of get it just in the right place and kind of thrust on it and I could get myself off and I just thought it was wonderful. Today, Kirsten's favorite solo play technique is using her hands to play with her clit using a particular technique. And can I just say how much I'm loving the love Lube is getting today? And I usually find that like kind of getting an even stroke going on one side is my happy place. I love lube. I think lube is really good. I have really found that I like jojoba oil because it's really close in content to like what human skin oils are like. Um, And it's non-toxic and easy to come by. Um, So that's a favorite of mine. Jojoba oil may be a good option for you too if you have sensitive skin or find commercial lubricants irritating. Oils also tend to last longer than water-based lubes, which makes them great for solo play during a bath or shower. 
Just don't use any oil-based products with condoms or latex toys because they can damage latex. Kirsten uses toys occasionally too, although her fingers remain her mainstay. There are certain circumstances in which she has found toys particularly helpful. If I really want to get my G-spot, I have a toy that has a nice curve in it. And I've really only just gotten into my G-spot now in my 50s, which has been a really fun discovery. So I encourage you to check it out sooner if you can. <laughs> Using the right type of toys tends to be important for G-spot play, as Kirsten has learned. If that's your goal, you'll want to try a toy designed for penetration, such as a dildo. And many G-spot toys also tantalize the external clit, such as rabbit-style vibrators. Now back to external play for a minute. What if you want that kind of pleasure fast, a solo play quickie, and you don't have access to a toy? Well, that's when Kirsten gets creative. I like vibrators some, but not so much. I've actually, at times when I've been in like a situation where I, I don't know, like I just need to make it happen fast. I've used electric toothbrushes can work really well, the backside of them, if in a pinch. <laughs> some of you are probably thinking, uh, what? And some of you are probably nodding along in a so-have-I fashion. So here's what's important to know about this method. Some experts discourage it, and I get why. But also, what if you can't afford or don't have access to a quality vibe? Some of them are two or $300. Or what if you live in a place where you would get punished for exploring your sexuality, so you can't really have toys around? These issues are really real for a lot of people. So here are a few safety tips. I love that Kirsten has only used an electric toothbrush externally rather than for penetration. That's important because toothbrushes tend to hold on to bacteria, which you don't want traveling up through your insides. Apparently, many folks swear by the tingle tip, which is a small electric toothbrush that's around $25. So you could buy one to keep on hand just for solo play purposes, if that's something you enjoy. Just make sure you clean it between uses, because bacteria can also enter from your external area. Okay, back to Kirsten's journey. She told me her body has changed a great deal over the years. After having children, and now that she's in perimenopause or perhaps menopause now. And these changes, paired with experience and how she and her partner have responded to them, have added special meaning and importance to her solo play practice. Being able to really stay in touch with myself and like, oh, I really need a lot more stimulation right now in this way than I did before. Like after my kids were born, I wanted a lot more clitoral stimulation just in my own masturbation. But then I also was like, that's going to help my husband. Like here, we need to do a lot more of this kind of play before anything else happens because I just had, you know, I had an episiotomy and there was just tenderness for a long time, like a lot longer than you would think. And then I've noticed that it really does help for me to be able to communicate with him more. I mean, we've been married 24 years, but really, I feel like we've evolved over time to just getting better and better and better at being more explicit around sexuality and what we want and need. And we've always talked about it, but it just seems like we just keep getting better. And the more I can really be clear about what I like and what I don't like and what works and what doesn't work, he just gets to then be really successful. You know? <laughs> and that makes us both happy. That's something that I think gets missed pretty often in conversations around solo play. Some people think of masturbation as an activity primarily for people who aren't sexually active with anyone else. But not only can it be completely hot and fun to do along with a partner, 
side by side, facing each other, or remotely while you're connected by phone. But having your own solo play practice is such an awesome way to learn about and take care of your body, whether you're single or not. And if you are in a relationship, what you learn will almost surely help there too. Given what she's learned over the years and her expertise in mental health, I asked Kirsten what she would say to someone who's experiencing shame around solo play. I would just say, like, be really kind to yourself. Just be as gentle as you can with yourself because shame is really hard and nobody wants to get anywhere near it. Um, and I would really encourage sort of looking at it as like, it's shame that does, didn't start out with you. Like it's not, it wasn't, it's not really yours. It's something somebody else put on you. And there's this beautiful opportunity to kind of reclaim your natural body, your natural relationship to pleasure, your natural vitality and, you know, humanness in a way that that really got if you're feeling shame about it something was taken away from you and that wasn't your fault and so um if you can stay really gentle and kind know that it's not really yours in one way um, and stay with it that it's worth it because bodies are great and we only have this one chance you know to be a human to get to do pleasure in this way and i really believe that pleasure brings us more deeply in into the body, into our humanness, into our uniqueness. And so I just think it's, it's, it's critical. I think it's critical to be a human is to be able to be in pleasure in that way. I couldn't agree more. In my Girl Boner book, I shared more benefits of what I called jilling off. Get it? Like Jack and Jill, jacking off, jilling off. Anyway, here are a few more perks you can invite by prioritizing pleasure through solo play. Better sleep, boosted moods, better managed depression and anxiety, although solo play can't replace treatment for those things. Improved body image, increased awareness of your body and your turn-ons, heightened self-esteem around your sexuality, improved partner sex, less stress, more mindfulness, reduced physical pain like headaches, strengthened immune function, and eased or even prevented menopausal symptoms. All pretty great, right? Obviously, these aren't the only ways to invite these things, but they're pretty awesome methods. You can learn more in Chapter 6 of Girl Boner. The chapter's called How to Slay at Solo Play. I hope you all appreciated what Holly, Lena, Shannon, and Kirsten shared as much as I did. Now on to this week's listener questions, which came from my latest email list survey. First, How can I make communicating my sexual likes and dislikes less awkward in the early stages? Here's what dating empowerment coach Erin Tillman had to say. It can be so nerve-wracking to talk about sexual likes and dislikes with somebody new. I mean, we have all kinds of anxiety already about not being liked or not being accepted or someone being like, ew, that's gross. I get it. I think we've all been through that on some level, you know? There is a level of self-confidence attached to this. And also, you know, we want this person that we're getting to know to really like us. So there are some things you can do, though, to communicate those likes and dislikes without the cringe factor, or to lessen it at least. One of those things is a yes, no, maybe list. You know, you can Google search yes, no, maybe lists, and a whole range of lists will pop up for you. What is a yes, no, maybe list? 
basically, in a nutshell, it's a list that has all of these categories of yes, no, and maybe in regards to things that you would like sexually or intimately ranging from, you know, a kiss on the cheek to something more, you know, intimate in terms of genitalia. Just for example, there's a whole range of things. But so those kind of lists can be really fun and really can help you write down all of the things that you're into and not into and maybe kind of into or curious about. So that could be a good place to start. Even if you don't download these lists, creating your own list is great. It's as simple as taking out a piece of paper, dividing it in three columns, one yes, one hard no, and one maybe, which equals being curious, and write down things that you would put in those categories in terms of intimacy and sex with another partner, and possibly for yourself even. The fun part comes in when you share that list with potential partners or with your partner. So you can make it like a really fun thing like, okay, I'll show you my list if you show me yours. And that's a really good way for someone to like look at something, take your list, look at it by themselves and assess. You can even compare lists if you want. And that's a really great way to start the conversation around sexual likes and dislikes. Because again, everyone has some level of anxiety when it comes to a new partner, especially. And so do whatever you can to lessen that. And again, if you can make it into a fun game or a fun way to share experiences, do it. You can even do it over a glass of wine or a cocktail. How fun is that? Ah, I love that. Yes, I am such a fan of yes, no, maybe lists. I love that tip so much. Erin also answered this question. When is the best time to let your partner or someone you're dating know you're bisexual? In my humble opinion, it's always better to disclose sexual orientation sooner rather than later. Why is that? Well, because it just gives somebody more information to choose into a relationship with you potentially or choose out of it. And, you know, of course we want someone to be with us and we want to make ourselves as likable as possible or what we think that person's going to like. But isn't it just better to just be honest with everyone involved? So then you really know if they're 100% yes. If they are somebody who's like a hell yes to what you are and who you are from the get-go. Because otherwise... It is a little misleading to date somebody and then say, oh, hey, by the way, I know you've just gotten to know me and you really like me now, but here's this thing I I haven't been telling you about myself that, you know, I actually do like, you know, cis men and cis women or whatever the category is. It's just better to give somebody all the information so that they can really, really get to know the true you and really be a hell yes to the true you. Because it just makes it harder on yourself as well. The longer information isn't out there on the table, the more difficult it can be to disclose it later. Uh, Yes, someone who is a hell yes for you and they say hell yes about you and exactly who you are, all of the wonderful things about you. I agree. I think honesty and transparency are really big. If you have questions for me, for Erin, or for Dr. Megan Fleming, who will be back soon, please drop me a note using the link down in the show notes. This episode was hosted and produced by me, August McLaughlin, with audio management by Mackenzie Mazel, engineer and the founder and organizer of the Period Podcast Network. Shan Burton coordinated guest interviews. Thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.